past uh, really, really month and a half because um, we've had to take several, several breaks for various things, right? So like seven, eight weeks ago, we looked at the, uh, the time that Peter is called when he first follows Jesus, right? And remember, we looked at the fact that it's not actually the first time that he meets Jesus, that Jesus already knows Peter. They've met in person. And we looked at making a fisher of men and this call that, yes, he calls to Peter, but that we all have on our lives, right? And then we took a look back. Don't worry, if you don't remember them all, I don't either. That's why I have the note sheets here so I can tell you what we talked about. We looked at when Peter walks on water. One of my favorite moments in, in the life of Peter because we see his faith mixing with his impulsiveness. Sometimes God calls you to be what we would consider impulsive, but it's something he has planned out for thousands of years before that moment. And we looked also at the fact that there were 11 other people still sitting in the boat. He got out of the boat, and we're all called to get out of the boat. And then we took a break for Father's Day. I won't rehash that sermon for you. And then we looked at one of the highest moments of Peter's life, which then immediately afterward is one of the lowest moments of Peter's life, right? When, when he says, you are the Christ, and God's like, yeah, you're doing awesome. And then like three verses later, get thee behind me, Satan, because Peter got a big head, right? And then let freedom ring. We didn't, we didn't uh, uh, that's, that was um, 4th of July, right? That was great. And then last Sunday... Uh, if you tuned in online, and if not, it's online. Uh, it's not on our podcast yet because I still need to record it to give it to Andy so he can edit it. But last week we looked at the path and, and how oftentimes when we talk about Peter denying Jesus those three times, we focus on that moment. But when you look back throughout the, uh, Mark chapter 14, you see that hours and perhaps even a couple of days beforehand, the seeds are planted and not just because Jesus says you are going to do this, no, but right, it's up here, the note sheet's up here for that one. Um, we looked at, because I want to I actually um, remind you of each thing for this one, right? We looked at that he has dangerous, reckless overconfidence in himself, that he's not, as my dad would say, prayed up, and that he's an incredibly prideful man, that he begins associating with the wrong people, and he falls back into his old habits, and in the end... It's an outright denial of Jesus. But he has these five, six moments leading up to that moment, right? And we talked about how it's a slow fade. Very rarely do we just be walking, you know, we're walking really good. I'll try to use good English, what all, right? We're walking really good in this, in this path with Christ, and then we just stumble and fall. That's usually not how it happens. Usually it's we're walking pretty good, and then we start to stray this way a little bit, and we go, well, I only changed lanes. I'm still on the highway. I've only changed lanes. And it's like a 15-lane highway, and you keep changing lanes, changing lanes, changing lanes until you get off the exit, right? But the fact that those changing lanes, those are still sins. That was, and I mentioned it last week, that was perhaps the real lowest point of Peter's life. We also looked at the fact that he wasn't the only one. He's the most publicized one, if you will. But the other 11, and that includes Judas, also denied Christ. Judas betrays him, and the other 10 betray him just as badly. 
because they leave him. We read that in scripture, that there's not a single one of the 12 to be found. Peter at least went to the place where Jesus was being crucified. Now we also know that John is there at the crucifixion, so I don't think John ran too far. But Jesus' best friends weren't there for him. And he knew they wouldn't be. He needed to go it alone for this one. This low point in Peter's life. And now today, we're going to look at, uh, in John chapter 21, most people are going to know this story, where Jesus calls Peter three separate times, feed my sheep, right? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, before I read that actual passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, I want to give you the background of what's happened here, right? So Jesus is dead, and then he raises again, rises again, right? The people, the, the women go to the tomb, they speak to the angel, uh, Jesus meets the people on the road to Emmaus, Peter and John run to the tomb, and it's empty, and Peter at that point leaves. It is not when Jesus dies that he leaves the disciples, the apostles, it is when he realizes that Jesus rose again, that he leaves, and goes back to being a fisherman. Why? Because if Jesus was dead, nobody needs to know what he did, right? We talked about that, we've talked about that before, right? Nobody was around to see what happened. As long as I don't spill the beans, nobody's going to know. We all do that in our lives. That's what Peter is doing. Except there's one person who knows so well that he told him it was going to happen, and that person just happened to walk out of the grave. Peter is in a conundrum. So that's when he leaves, and he goes back to doing the only thing he has been good at. And if you look back eight weeks from when we were just from today, what was Peter doing when Jesus calls him? He's fishing. He's a fisherman. And God says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter goes, well, I failed miserably at that. I'll go back to the only thing I've ever been good at in my life. I'll be a fisherman again. And we read in this passage, not the passage we're going to read, but we read in John chapter 21 that Peter doesn't just go himself. He takes some of the other disciples with him. Never mistake this. Peter is an incredible leader of men. He is. People follow him. Whether it's because he's got that aura, that attitude, or he's just got those innate leadership skills, it doesn't matter. Peter is a leader of men. God didn't just pick him out because of for nothing. He gave Peter unique qualities to be able to lead the church. He uses them here for the wrong things. And they're fishing all night long and they don't catch any fish. Very similar to that first time that Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. There's a lot of parallels in this story. And Jesus shows up and he's on the lake, or he's on the, he's on the, um, he's on the shore. And Jesus, Peter sees this guy and, and they're talking and he doesn't know it's Jesus yet. And this guy goes, well, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And Peter's like, all right, fine, whatever, I'll do it. And he does it, and the catch is so big, it starts sinking multiple boats. And at that moment, Peter knows who he's dealing with again. He knows who's on the shore. And he goes to the shore, and Jesus is there with breakfast. Good guy, Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story. Okay, so that's the setting, the context to which we read this account. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It reads, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. 
And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I've preached this this passage of scripture before. So I know most of you in here will have heard this passage of scripture at least once in your life. But I'm going to take a different look at it today because... I've said this many times, right? The Bible never says more than it says, but it does say say more than you see. And as I was reading through this, the Holy Spirit said, what about this angle? And I went, I like it. Let's talk about it. Number one in your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one, motivated by fear. Motivated by fear. Let's think back to four or five days before this moment. When Jesus is standing before Pilate, Peter is in the courtyard and is asked three times, aren't you one of them? Don't you know that man? So, motivated by, in that moment, he's motivated, motivated, I can't say that word correctly, motivated by fear. Fear for his own life. The man whom he is following is on trial to be crucified. He's seen him beaten, mocked, and scorned, and he's about to be crucified. And yes, Peter has reason to fear for his life, and in fact, Peter is going to give his life for the church. One day in the future, he himself is crucified. Popular history, we don't know if it's 100% true, but popular history tells us that he is crucified upside down. He requested that because he did not want to be killed in the same way as his Lord. He felt he didn't deserve that. We don't know if that's 100% true, but we do know he's killed. He's put to death by the Romans. They preferred crucifixion, so we're putting two and two together. He has reason to fear for his life, but in the future, he's not going to fear for his life because that's not his motivation anymore. But in that moment, he's fearing for his life. He's fearing for his family's life. Never forget, Peter is a married man with children. We know that because Jesus stays at his house at one point. Even if you're not afraid for your own life, right? I don't have kids, but I do have a wife. And I am incredibly motivated by keeping her safe, doing everything I can to keep her safe, whether it's locking the doors at night, whether it's making sure that no candles are lit when nobody's around to make sure they're attended to, stuff like that, whether it's, this was ingrained in my head from I don't know what what age, but, and this is true, this is not me exaggerating, this one's true, there are two rules when it comes to doors primarily, and windows if you can do it. One, there should always be a path to them. They should never be blocked. Two, uh, I had one there. My brain just went, you don't need that one. Even when I had a messy room when I was a kid, there was always a pathway. And this, I remembered it. And this is one that people sometimes disagree on. That's okay. The only time doors were closed in our house when I was a kid was if we were changing or using the bathroom. Other than that, doors were open. Now, there's two schools of thought on that. One, if the door is open, you can get out of it without trying to worry about it. But it also does allow 
flame and smoke and such to get into the room that you are in. However, I doubt that any of you in your houses, you have fire doors. So your door is not stopping the fire anyway. And my dad instilled in me, get out quick. Especially because, especially around here, a lot of us have old houses. Those things go up like nothing. I don't know where I was going. Oh, my family's life. I, I, I had no idea where I was going with that. So in my house right now, there is not a single door that is blocked by anything. There is pathways, and when Maddie moved into the house, when we got married, I literally took her on a tour and said, you can leave through this door. This door goes into the church, and you can go down and out. This door leaves out the back. This door leaves out the front. In our bedroom, there's, you want to go out these two windows because the porch is right there. There's bushes right there. You're going to probably get hurt a little bit when you jump down, but you're probably not going to break anything or anything like that. If something goes wrong, you do not worry about me. You do not worry about our possessions. Possessions. You do not worry about our cats. We don't have kids, so we don't have to worry about that right now, right? Get out. Whether it's an intruder or a fire, get out. Get out of the house. Because I'm motivated by keep, to keep my wife safe. She's a smart woman. She could have figured this all out for herself, but, you know. So he's scared. He's afraid for his family's life. If they find out that I'm with this Jesus man, what are they going to do to my family? And he's motivated by his reputation as who he is. Don't you know that man? Aren't you one of them? No, 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 no. Now you might say, Pastor, none of this is written down explicitly in Scripture. You're right, but we have to remember Peter is a real person. He was a real man with real thoughts and feelings, the same as you and I. Almost everyone in here has family of some kind. You're telling me that you don't sometimes act on fear for your family? Or for yourself? Or to keep your own reputation? I bet you Peter did as well. Either way, we know he's motivated by fear. He's lived most of his life as just a normal fisherman. Then he lived three years walking behind this Jesus man, and now he is terrified. And then, and I didn't write this one down, when Jesus is risen again and he knows it's happened, he's still motivated by fear, but he's no longer afraid of Rome. He's afraid of Jesus. And I'll give him this. The Bible says, don't fear man, but fear, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. At least he's afraid of the right person this time. But he's still motivated by fear. If you can find me the place in scripture that says you're supposed to be motivated by fear, I'll stop preaching. Not by respect, right? By fear. By being afraid. As soon as you become a Christian, you're supposed to leave fear behind you. Now that is not to say, right? I won't say you will never find me, but most likely you will never find me with a bungee cord attached to my feet ready to jump. I'm terrified of heights. And before somebody goes, no, you're not terrified of heights, you're terrified of falling. No, I'm afraid of heights. I get on a six-foot ladder, and my feet start to, you get that feeling where your feet, it's not really a numbness, but they just don't work right anymore. Six-foot ladder, and my legs, my feet are like, oh, man, what are we going to do? I used to work as a contractor. I would climb extension ladders and stuff like that fall off of one once, you begin to get afraid of heights after that moment. 
was fun. I landed softly. I've got a lot of padding. There was also a bush underneath me. That helped. But either way, right? So I'm not saying that as soon as you're a Christian, you need to face every single one of your fears. You're afraid of heights, you climb Mount Everest, you get up there. No. I will probably always be afraid of heights. Just saying. My dad's afraid of heights too. When he and I have to do things together, it's a bit... You should have seen us when we hung these TVs, all three of them. First off, that TV was there, and we had... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all this, all right? We had a step stool, and I know I'm off camera. We had a step stool here and here with a ladder half on the pew, half on the stool, up there at an angle like this. Unplugging and plugging in extension, or not extension cords, HDMI cables and hanging the TVs. Now, to hang these TVs, luckily, we had a number of people. Rip's not here today, but Rip helped us out a little bit with some of it, um, which was wise because he went, is it possible to, you know, we had a ladder here as well. Is it possible to tie a rope to the ladder and tie it to this? And we went, wow, that's a great idea. I've been told that there was a man, was it Don Johnson, who used to do the straight ladder? So to, to, to tear, to, not to tear down, please don't tear down our chandeliers. To change the lights in the chandeliers, there's two ways to do it. You can go into the ceiling and lower them down. I've been in that ceiling. I'm good. I'm good. Or you can do what Don, Don Johnson did 100 years ago or whatever. He's not quite that old. And have two guys stand here holding a ladder. As you climb the ladder, my dad always says, God protects infants and fools, children and fools, and I'm no child. I'm not telling you you need to get over every single one of your fears the moment you become a Christian. I am saying you're no longer supposed to be motivated by it, especially by fear of the unknown, by fear of what's not, what could happen, stuff like that. Here's the thing. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear and faith are opposites. What are you motivated by? Let's keep going, right? So we see Peter is incredibly motivated by fear in this moment. And Jesus is asking him to be motivated by something else. Number two on your note sheets there. Motivated by love. Motivated by love. First off, before we, we talk about the motivation, we need to talk about the four different kinds of love. So bear with me. I wrote them down there for you. Most people know the first three, but the fourth one is a little lesser known. So we're talking about Greek, and of course this book, the New Testament, was written in Koine Greek, that is ancient Greek. And they had, while we just translate the word as love, they had four different words for it. The first one was agape, that is unconditional, sacrificial love. It was agape love that caused Christ to come to earth and die on the cross for you and me. That is agape love. It is unconditional, sacrificial love. Church, that's the love you are called to have for everyone. That is the love Christ called you to have. Secondly, there's eros, or romantic love. It's where we get the word erotic from. This is a love that should exist between a husband and wife, right? It's a romantic love, a sexual love. Then you have the third one, phila, brotherly, 
That's where we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. That's not just something they made up, right? It's a brotherly, it's the love you have for a friend, right? If I said, you know, to my best friend, if I said, I love you, brother, it is this sort of love. It's that brotherly, friendly love. And then the fourth one, the one that people don't know as much about, is storge. Uh, it's familial, like a parent to a child, okay? Now, the word that is used here in this passage multiple times by Jesus is agape. Peter, actually he says Simon, Simon, do you sacrificially and unconditionally love me more than these? What's the these he's talking about? Your life, who you are. He's a fisherman, this food, all of that stuff. Do you love me more, unconditionally and sacrificially? And Peter answers, yes. And Jesus asks him a second time. Or, and then he get, actually, he gives him a command then. Cool, pastor. Tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. It's the same thing. He's telling him the same. Church, he's telling him to do the same thing he said he was going to call him to do three years earlier when he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It's the same thing just three years later. And he asks him a second time and a third time. And Peter, Peter's not a dumb man. He knows what's happening here. He has denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus is asking him three times, hey, do you have unconditional, sacrificial love for me? In this moment, especially in verse um, 17, we see a change in what is most important to Peter. You see, up to this point, what was really most important to him was his own life, his family's life, his reputation, his legacy, all that kind of stuff. And some of that stuff is not bad, right? Your family should be important to you, right? I'm not trying to say they shouldn't be. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, all that stuff, right? They should be important. I'm not saying they should not be. But what Jesus is asking Peter here is, what is most important to you? Because if it's not me, you might as well go back to fishing. If it's not going to be me, go back. The other thing, I didn't write it down here, but I want to point out, what does Jesus call him? Simon, not Peter. Jesus is the one who gave him the name Peter. He's also the one who has taken it away because he doesn't deserve to be Peter. He is not the rock. He is not the one right now because he doesn't have unconditional sacrificial love. Oftentimes, now here's the thing, he also didn't have that three years prior, but Jesus calls him Peter. Church, oftentimes God's going to call you to do things to which you are not prepared and not ready and do not deserve. Do it anyway and trust him. You see, here's the thing, even in this moment, Peter is not ready. He's not had formal training. That's not true. He's had three years of formal training. He's watched the greatest pastor ever. He had the best internship you could ever have. But he's unprepared. He's Simon in this moment. I don't think he truly becomes Peter until this moment. Not when Jesus calls him it. 
I don't think he truly makes that change to make Jesus the single most important thing in his life until right now. And you read in Acts that Jesus, or excuse me, not Jesus, Peter gets thousands of people saved. Thousands in two sermons. Thousands of people saved. He stays in Jerusalem. He leads the church while Paul goes out and is the missionary. Peter is the one at home leading the church. Almost like Christ told him he would. We're going to wrap it up. Let's apply it. I need somebody to go tell mom. Jason's going. Again, Maddie's not in here, so she can't go tell her. We need a buzzer, an alarm. Not a buzzer. I don't want it to go like, bzz. I need a like, whoop, whoop, whoop. And I want to control it from my phone. Let's apply it to our lives, shall we? First off, church, I already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. You are called to have agape love. You are not called to have eros love for people. I thank God for that. You are not called to have brotherly love or even a familial love. You are called to have agape, the most difficult one. You are called to love people unconditionally and sacrificially. Why? Because that's how Christ loved you. Church, whether you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior or not, I've got something to tell you this morning. Christ loves you enough to die on the cross. Doesn't mean you go to heaven because you don't love him back. You have not accepted him back. But the fact of the matter is that Christ had agape love, has agape love for you and me, and you and I, if we have accepted Christ, are called to have that for everyone around us, not just fellow believers, everyone around us. It pains my heart greatly when I see uh, believers destroying other people, especially other believers. We've never been called to do that. I'm not saying that we should just accept everybody's this, that, and the other thing. I'm not saying that you should just go, well, you believe what you want to believe. I love you. No. We are called to speak the gospel and speak the truth, but you are called to love. 1 Corinthians tells us you could share the gospel as much as you want to. If you don't have love, you're nothing. That's, go ahead and read it. 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12. might be chapter 13, but either way, you're nothing without love. And nothing. So I want to implore you this morning, church, to love. And then I try to give you guys a practical one every week. So here it is. Here it is. Not right this second, but sometime this week. Take out a pen and a pad of paper or a, or a, a, a pencil. If you still have a typewriter, you can use that. Anybody in here still use a typewriter? That's good. I'm glad. You could. One of my favorite things about typewriters is to ka-shing, and it's It's great. Some of the things we've lost with technology is the sounds things used to make. It's great. Either way, do you know, they've proven this scientifically, what is the best sound scientifically? And this is, they did tests. The best sound in the world. What? Nope. Nope. A can opening. The I'm serious. They have done tests. That is the sound that brings the most joy to people, is the sound of a can opening. I'm just telling you, 
take it up with the scientists. It's not my personal favorite sound, although I will say when I pull my Diet Coke out of the fridge and I go, I'm like, there's a little bit of the, um, what is it, endorphins? Is that the happy, the happy chemical that just kind of goes into your brain? You're like, yeah, here we go, right? I also enjoy running water, but that always makes me pee, so, you know. Science, it's great. Who, I want to know who funds things like that, right? We need to cure cancer, diabetes, all this kind of stuff. And they're like, what's the best sound? Either way, here's your practical list, okay? Okay. Pull out your pen, pad of paper, all that stuff, right? Number it one to five. One to five. Your five most important things. And not just any order. Nope. One, two, three, four, five. Okay? And church, I want to implore you this morning, I want to implore you, do not put God number one if he is not truly there. Do not lie to yourself because you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. Ask Ananias and Sapphira, they tried that. It didn't turn out well for them. I'm not going to say that God's going to strike you dead, but if he does, I'm not coming to carry the body. If you don't believe me, read in Acts. I think it's chapter 3 or 4, but it happened. If God's not truly number one, don't put him there. He wasn't number one for Peter. He wasn't. He would become it. I guarantee you throughout Peter's life, there would be things that messed him up. There would be times when he did not put Christ as number one. I guarantee you it happened. How do I know? He was a man. He was a human. But I also know that God used him mightily. And you can look at the greatest, right? Whether it's a, a, a Billy Graham or whoever, right? Pick your favorite preacher. Is it me? Am I people's favorite preacher? No. I'm not even my own favorite preacher, so it's okay. David Jeremiah is mine. Um, whoever it is, right? I guarantee you they don't put Christ number one every day of their lives. I guarantee it. Because they're human. But here's the question. How often is he number one? And are you striving, truly striving to ensure he is number one? There was a day that I talked to my parents about a particular sin struggle that I was having in my own life. And, and my dad looked at me and said, you're not less spiritual, but you've got to work to put God number one in your life again. Church, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. And actually, he also looked at me and said, you will fall again because you're human. You will sin again. You're human. Get back up and put Christ back on the throne and keep going. List your one to five, truthfully. And if the order is wrong, work to reorder it. And I will tell you this, church. Lastly, the scripture teaches us that essentially Christ should be so far out, number one, that there isn't a number two. That you can't even see it because it's so far behind. I love my family. They would be my number one, quite frankly. Whether it's my wife or, 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 or my, my biological family. I don't have kids, but I can guarantee you that as soon as I have a, if God should grant Maddie and I to have kids, that little baby is going to, I'm going to be wrapped around its finger so tight. Or she'll be wrapped around mine, he'll be wrapped, I forget, either way. I'm well aware of that, right? I love my family, but if I have to make a choice between God and family, it's not a choice. 
You have to choose God. How many times have you and I, Dad, sat down and gone, what are we going to do? This is going to tick off this person or this person, but this is what God is calling us to do. you got to do it. Who is number one in your life? It's easy to go, well, yeah, it's God, but when you see it written down, it kind of makes it real. I hope you've enjoyed our look through Peter's life. We're going to be done with him for a while here. Um, He'll probably come up as illustrations again, but uh, we're going to be done with him for a little while. Peter is a man who has a roller coaster of a life. His first 30 years plus, give or take, are pretty normal. Pretty normal for that, for a man in that time period. And then that Jesus guy had to come in and just mess everything up. I can't wait to get to heaven. There's a lot of things I have questions for Jesus, for God, to God about. Um, but I have some questions for Peter. I want to talk to him. Because of all the people we read about in Scripture, Peter to me, and this is me personally, you don't have to agree, you can have other people, right? To me, has the most interesting narrative life that we get to read about. He experiences the highest highs and the lowest lows in Scripture that I can find. And I hope that his story, as we looked through five major events in his life over the past couple of months, has been both inspiring, has been convicting, and has spurred you on towards righteousness. That's what we're called to do. He's there in heaven. I'm sure when he got up there, he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And whether he's at the front gate or not, I'm going to find him pretty quick when we get up there. And I'm very thankful that God saw fit to leave his story in Scripture for us including from his own point of view in the book of Mark. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for Peter. He was not a perfect man by any means. Um, and I, I am convinced that throughout his life, he dealt with anger, he dealt with pride, stuff like that, right? He was a man like any other man, but he loved you. Scripture doesn't say he's a man after your own, your own heart like David was, but I like to think that he was, he was right, right there with it especially post uh, this moment. I pray that we would learn from Peter's life. That we would learn not to be overconfident and, not pr and prideful and, and, and such. That we would learn how you've called us and from this narrative that we should be motivated by love. And I didn't talk about this specifically, but I thank you that you always come back for us. You come and find us because we so desperately need it. I pray your blessing on the rest of our week here together, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.